Good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word or need to borrow the copy in front of you in the pew pocket, I'd ask that you turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 4 that Stephanie read for us. I want to take this time, I want to thank you all, uh, church family. It's very sweet to have uh, a fellowship and a bond with you all uh, in a time of a little bit of a scare and not knowing what was before me and I want to thank you for your prayers and support. I'm thankful for Zach who was able to step in and uh, at a very short notice uh, fill the pulpit and uh, do a very sufficient job. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for y'all continually checking in on me. It's it's a wonderful thing to have a wife like Melissa. She's not here. She's in the nursery so I can uh, not embarrass her but she's just been a wonderful support so much so that uh, even the day of, she says, I can't, I can't even tell that anything's wrong with your face. And I thought, that's so sweet. But you today tell me, oh, your face looks so much better. So which is it? I mean, it's, it's, it's quite difficult. I'll have to talk to her afterwards about that. But uh, I want to thank you all for you alls uh, support and love uh, during this time. Book of Colossians. Youth, we just finished uh, studying it this past summer. Uh, it's a book that I've become to love and treasure, uh, ultimately just speaks highly of Christ, directs the believer's attention to Christ, and uh, want, want to put our attention to that. Paul wrote this to believers in Colossians really to strengthen their faith. Uh, Paul was not the individual that started this local body. He was a man by the name of Epaphras. Actually, what's so fascinating about this book, which so much correlates with with Ephesians is that Paul never visited this local body as far as we know but you see such a great love and care there's a beautiful prayer at the front where he's encouraging them and saying that he loves them and cares for them to grow in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and Paul is really putting that before us this morning in our verses that we're looking at The main point really here is that if you've been raised with Christ, you should seek and aim for the things that are above. Or to put it another way, your life should demonstrate that Christ is all. A raised life should demonstrate that Christ is all. I've entitled this message, A Life with Christ. A Life with Christ And with that, I want to look at three things that describe a life with Christ. A life raised with Christ. We see that in the first part of verse 1. A life raised with Christ. Number two, a life aiming for Christ. See that in verses 1 and 2 as well. And then lastly, a life hidden with Christ in verses 3 and 4. So let's look at this passage, read it once more in Colossians 1, beginning verse 3, Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. First, a life raised with Christ. A life raised with Christ. Paul says, if then you've been raised with Christ. The first portion and first part, first two chapters 
of this book is very theologically rich, doctrinal, which is how Paul often wrote. He would often up front explain deep doctrinal truths and as simple as the Christian life and the gospel. And here in our passage, he's changing, he's, he's in a transition point. This is kind of the hinge point of the book when it's going to begin to look at more the practical application of the theology he's taught. But it's not void of theology. You should know that. It's both. I mean, we can't, ha- can't take one without the other. It's almost like our lives are a door and the theology and the practice are the hinges. We can't have one offset or the door won't shut. We have both. As one commentator says, all theology has practical implications and all practice has theological foundations. And that's what we'll see even in the midst of our passage as he transitioned into the practice of a life that's with Christ. In most of our translations, especially the ESV, it almost reads as if he's questioning if they're truly raised with Christ, if then you are raised with Christ. But that's not really the tone of that. Actually, the NIV actually captures that by saying, since then you have been raised with Christ. Paul is only reaffirming their true life in Christ. So what does Paul mean by a raised life? That's what we have to ask ourselves. What does he mean by a raised life? For something to be raised up, uh, it means to cause to live again. Therefore, the practical uh, conclusion there is that something had to be dead or lifeless for it to be raised to life again. And he's speaking in a spiritual way here, illustrating our spiritual condition naturally from birth is spiritually dead lifeless when it comes to the things of the Lord. Some of us can even look back in our lives and look at our lives prior to Christ and see there was no true response internally when it came to these things. This is how we all walk through this life naturally until we are raised again. But see, this is a central message to most of Paul's writings, to the writings of the New Te- in the New Testament, and here especially in Colossians. This is only further in, uh, explained in the book, where he's trying to unpack for them the gospel in these small little snippets along the way of description of the application of Christ changing one, a life raised with Christ. Look back at verse or chapter 1 with me, chapter 1 of Colossians. We'll look at a few of these instances where he's given these condensed versions that describes the effects of the gospel. He says in Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14, He has, that's God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. There's one description of the applied gospel to the life of a believer, transferred from the domain of darkness to the beloved kingdom of his son. So look at verse 21 and 22. And you, speaking to the believer, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled, brought peace in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless 
and above reproach before him. So Paul is, yet again, here's another snippet, a description, a portrait of what a life looks like that the gospel's been applied to. One transformed from a domain of darkness to the kingdom of his son. Here, hostile and alienated in the mind, or as one translation, enemies of the mind, and now holy and beloved because he reconciled us. Yet again, look at chapter 2, verse 11. Colossians 2, 11. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Yet again, a description of a life that has been changed by the gospel, raised from death to life. And that is where we're at here. He uses this wonderful phrase, if then you've been raised with Christ, to point back to the work of the gospel in the life of a believer. And all these things that we just read are all involuntary. It's what he has done. We have not transferred ourselves. We have not reconciled or forgiven ourselves. We've not raised ourselves uh, from life to death. Just as an individual on the operating uh, table cannot tra- give a heart transplant to themselves, we cannot bring life to ourselves. And this gospel has been applied to the life of all those who believe in Jesus Christ through faith, as Paul says, a raised life. It's a spiritual miracle that he has done and he has applied to our lives and it's a wonderful miracle paul could have used since you are now saints in christ or since you are now believers in christ but he purposely states since you've been raised with christ because he's transitioning to the application so in his transition he puts a particular phrase since you've been raised with christ to go back raised in him We also think of Romans 6, 4, where we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's what he's directing the believers there in Colossae, reminding them, if you've been raised with Christ, this is a miraculous new life that's been enabled to now live in a new way. That's where he's going with this. He even speaks right here, the centerpiece, Christ, in these four verses. Five times he either mentions him by name or refers to Christ. And it's accompanied with the word with, with Christ. There's a beautiful doctrine speaking of the union that we have with Christ. Wayne Grudem describes union with Christ as following. It's a phrase used to summarize several different relationships between believers and Christ through which Christians receive every benefit of salvation. These relationships include the fact that we are 
in Christ. Christ is in us. We are like Christ, and we are with Christ. This is a beautiful transformation that God has done on the life of a true believer, being raised from, from death to life in order to live in a new way altogether. Our natural union was with Adam. Now we are with Christ so that we can fulfill his encouragement and his prayer at the beginning. He encourages them and prays for them. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We have been made new in order to fulfill that. Raised with Christ. A life raised with Christ. Paul is not questioning their faith, but encourage, encouraging them, hopefully strengthening and establishing what the work God has done in their life. But I think it's a, a very important question to ask you personally. Have you been raised with Christ? There's only two individuals in this world, those that have and those that have not. You're in either one of those camps. Either you're still in the domain of darkness or you were in the kingdom of his beloved son. You were still either alienated, separated, hostile, rebellious against God right now, or you were holy and blameless. You were either dead in your sins or been raised with Christ. Which isn't. It's a question that we must ask. And for the believer, it's encouraging. I'm raised with Christ. For the unbeliever, I call you to faith and repentance in what Christ has accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection, canceling out our sins so that we can be brought near, that peace can be made between us and a holy God, raised with Christ. A life with Christ is also, number two, a life that is aiming for Christ. A life that is aiming for Christ. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. See at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. A life that is aiming for Christ. He gives two imperatives here. First, seek and to set your mind on both on things that are above. So let's look at those. First, seek. To seek after something is to aim, attain, or strive after. Lord Jesus Christ in his, his sermon on the mount said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seeking consumes us. When we seek or strive or aim towards something, it absolutely consumes all of us. Many people loved the life and ministry of Jesus. His disciples loved Jesus. The crowds at times loved Jesus. But the religious leaders, they were opposed to his life and ministry. It consumed them. And thinking, how can we destroy this man? The same word, seek says in Mark 14, Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how, after seizing him in secret, they might kill him. It consumed them. They could think about nothing else other than seizing him and killing him. 
Paul says, you should think about nothing else. It should consume you every single day, pursuing, striving after, aiming towards the things above. That's the life that's with Christ. But he goes on and he says, to set the mind on things that are above. This means to have an attitude, to think in a particular manner, to seek one's interest and to side with here. So really, this is very similar to Paul in Philippians chapter 2. He's encouraging the church at Philippi and, and encouraging that they be one and unified and, and care for one another to consider others' interest of more value than their own. And he says towards the end of that, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So I want what Christ loves, what Christ adores, what Christ wants, that's my aim. That's where I want my mind to be set on. To think of those things. He's instructing these Colossians believers and us today, those that are in Christ, with Christ, to aim and set our thinking upon things that are above. So what are the things that are above? Well, ultimately, it's Christ, right? If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. It's ultimately Christ that I'm supposed to aim for and I'm to set my mind upon. But even so, he says in the next verse, in verse 2, he compares it and contrasts it better to that that are earthly. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth earth and Paul's going to unpack this for us really beginning in verse 5 would you look with me verse 5 of chapter 3 he says put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual immorality impurity passion evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry on account of these the wrath of God is coming and these you two once walked when you were living in them but now you must put them all away anger wrath malice slander and obscene talk from your mouth do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices but we're focusing on verses one through four this comparison and this contrast between the things above and the things that are on earth the earthly things paul says they're actually in us. That becomes a stumbling block for us, right? As believers, it's not just something outside of us that we push away. It's actually something in us that we're actually to put to death as we pursue, aim for, strive after, and set our mind on things that are above. This list describes the things that will begin to take over our minds, that will begin to cloud our direction, and he says, put it off. Paul gives this list of earthly things and puts it in its right place. As we mentioned already before, our natural nature is inherited from Adam and it rebels against God. And these verses here demonstrate that. But if you've been raised with Christ and you're a life with Christ and you're a life that's aiming for Christ, you're to put off the old self and the new self 
Paul writes in Romans, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In this transitioning in Colossians, he's saying if you're in Christ, if he's your life, if you're aiming for him, these things will begin to leave your life. And it's your responsibility. But you're with Christ. It's his power. It's his work in you. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit in you puts the death, puts to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We make it our aim and duty in this life to put the old man, the earthly things in us, to death. All right? Scripture does not paint the apostle Peter in a positive light. I, I, we can sympathize with that. We're thankful for the life and ministry of Peter. A faithful believer, but at times he too stumbled. He just confessed in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus was the Christ. From there, Jesus goes directly into describing how he would eventually go to Jerusalem, die, be buried, and resurrected. Peter's response is, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. Here's a description. Anything that would go against the death, burial, and resurrection of God should be put out of our mind. That would go against God's eternal plan for salvation should be put out of our mind. So we've looked at the things of the earth but what about the things that are above as i've already stated it's christ ultimately it's christ he even says christ is seated at the right hand of god it's christ that we're aiming for but he goes on in colossians 3 look at verses 12 through 15 put on them as god's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness and patience bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is putting off, like taking off a coat and putting on a different coat. We're called here to put off the old man and put on the new man. These things are descriptions of things that Christ holds and has demonstrated perfectly for us. So we're striving to imitate Christ. So we think to the things above, it's Christ. He's the prize. But ultimately, he also demonstrated for us what this life should look like as we pursue and set our minds on him. We look to him for the one that shows us how to be benevolent and generous and kind and patient and forgiving. It's Christ that has done that for us. It's him that has changed our thinking so that we can fulfill our Philippians 4.8. And think about whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. That's where my mind should be and can be now that I'm with Christ. Now that I'm aiming and striving for Christ. That's what he's done. The obvious problem we have in the Christian life is that the earthly things still pop up. I can 
come up with a better illustration in my mind other than pool noodles. Pool noodles. I don't know who created pool noodles, but shame on them. Uh, for some reason, we had like 30 in the gym for, for several years. And, and the obvious thing, what do you do with a pool noodle? You slap it on the floor to make it as loud as you can. Pool noodles, they're fun. You get in a pool with a bunch of pool noodles, and you try to sit on them and keep it down, and you feel like you're doing good, and then they slip out from underneath you. That's often how the Christian life feels. Feel like we're doing good at keeping it down, but whoop, right back again, the earthly man, the flesh seeps through. Therefore, Paul began with the fact that we are with Christ, not alone, but we are still called to live in a distinct way as believers reigning for him. So first we're called to put to death the flesh. My favorite Puritan John Owen wrote a book, The Mortification of Sin. I'm going to read a good portion of that. I'd encourage you, if you don't have a copy of that, Banner Truth publishes a what's called a Puritan paperback, which kind of condenses some of that old English in a very clear way. And there's one called The Mortification of Sin. He wrote this, actually, he was a chancellor at Oxford University there, and he wrote this for his students. So he's thinking of young men and young women who are battling with the flesh. That's the struggle of the Christian life. He, reads, he writes, the choicest believers who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin, or we could say for our context, those who are raised with Christ should also make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. Not the idea of embarrassing, but this has the idea of death. He goes on to explain, to mortify means to put any living thing to death. To kill a man or any other living thing is to take away the principle of all its strength, vigor, and power so that it cannot act or exert or put forth any proper actings of its own. We're to choke out sin in our lives is what he's getting at. Thus, it is the constant duty of believers to render a death blow to the deeds of the flesh that they may not have life and strength to bring forth their destructive nature in us. Isn't that true? When I'm not engaged with my mind, and that flesh seeps through, it grabs a hold of me. This is our, the choices, believer. It's our business. It goes beyond my occupation. As a believer in Christ, as a life that's with Christ, my duty is to every day put the deeds of the flesh to death. He hasn't left me alone. He's given me his spirit. He hasn't left me alone. He's given me his words. He hasn't left us alone. He's given us each other to put the deeds of the flesh to death. One of his most quotable lines, he says, Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? You must always be at it while you live. Do not take a day off work. Always be killing sin or it will be killing you. And that is true. For the believer with the one that's aiming for Christ, 
We have a new desire to put the old man to death, to put it off, and to pursue and strive for the things above. So does my overall life represent a life that is aiming for the things above? Ultimately, Christ. I mean, we, we, we did a turkey trot here for a couple of years. I've been to several races before. When you're there in a race, it's very obvious what someone is doing when they're running in that race. It's like, I wonder what so-and-such is doing. They're running in a race. <laughs> they're, they're headed towards a direction, and that's the finish line, which is the prize. Do those around me clearly see I'm running in a race, and that is I'm aiming for Christ? I would hope that's the case for you, your believer. It's worth mentioning, though, this moral conduct, these things that are good and honorable and right and pure, you can't forge these. You can't make these up. These don't save you and bring you in right relationship with God, but also it's not going to do you any good. At the end, you will stumble. The fruit will not last because it's not connected to the vine, which is Jesus Christ. We are in Christ and with Christ and should be aiming for Christ. Lastly, a life hidden with Christ. Paul begins this chapter applying the doctrine, and then he goes back to the doctrine. We see he goes back and forth, back and forth. Truth, imperative, do, command. Truth. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Doctrine seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are earth. Command. Doctrine. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ and God, with Christ and God. So number one, first he says, you, are, you have died. This is just a consistent reminder that the old man is gone. He's not here. He shouldn't take residence anymore. He shouldn't have a say anymore. It's the new man that's here. He brings this to their attention several times, even at the end of chapter 2. If, Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? He's saying you, you've already died to the old man. You're gone. It's, remember, it's no longer you anymore, but it is Christ. You have died and now are hidden with Christ. So for something to be hidden, it's to keep safe, to cause to be protected, hidden. We are protected in Christ. First, we are protected in Christ from ourselves. So we've already mentioned the old man seeps through. Meaning if I am raised with Christ, if I am with Christ, hidden and protected by Christ... I can't undo that. If that wonderful and powerful work has truly happened in my life, he has been. And I can't be taken from that. We often bring the most harm to ourselves. But in this case, if we were in Christ, he has me. Going back to the doctrine of union with Christ. 
I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. He's with us. I can't be taken out of that. Beautiful thing is that also, second, we are kept safe in Christ. No one, no power, no authority can take us from that. If I'm in, hidden in Christ, no one can come up and match his power, his authority. No one. Yesterday I was reading through Fox's Book of Martyrs, which just retells countless, countless stories of saints that have gone before us, all the way from the early church to beginning with the disciples and even up to the last few years. Faithful believers in Christ who their lives have been taken from them. The physical life, though. What's so encouraging by them is sometimes they have their last words listed in there. Where they stand for truth. They stand upon, you might take my life, but in a moment, I'll be before my Savior. That's a hope and a confidence for one that's truly with Christ. They know that they're hidden and protected in him. It's a wonderful truth. But he continues, speaking about when he appears. He reminds us that Christ, he's our life. He's our aim. He's our hope. He's our protection. He's our righteousness. He's our salvation. He's our peace. He's our comfort. When he appears, when he is made visible, when he returns, we will be with him in glory. So he, he says, okay, be attention. Pay attention. Live a particular way. Set your minds on things that are above. But guess what? It's going to be better than this. One day, take your mind off of this. One day you'll be with him. That's, a, that's so much peace for us. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of final breaths, in the midst of those around us we love that have fallen from us, it does not matter. The minute things in this world do not compare to the eternal days that will be before our Savior. That's our hope. Remembering these truths during those times. Paul is reminding us we have a heavenly citizenship. Philippians, he writes in chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Do the day-to-day -day matters of life cloud your vision of looking to Christ and Christ alone? I hope that your only confidence in life is Christ. And as things press on you, so much so that it can be emotional and hard and difficult and almost where it begins to take a physical toll when you feel like you can't even breathe, know that Christ has you. We sung, and when I reach my final day, he will not leave me in the grave, but I will rise. He will call me home. The Lord is my salvation. What a wonderful truth and hope to set ourselves in.
Paul wants his audience to put their entire hope in Christ Jesus. He should be our all. He even says in verse 11, Christ is all and in all. He's ultimate. That's the aim. That's what Paul wants the audience to know there at Colossae, the church there to know, and he wants you to know, church. Christ should be your all. Christ should be your life. Many live their days and their life where their careers are their life, or their children are their life, or their hobbies are their lives. No, Christ is our lives. He is ultimate. With that in right perspective, all those other things are put in the right place. This book only, only directs and pulls our eyes off ourselves and places them on Christ Jesus. In closing, turn with me to Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. It's often said this is a, a hymn, a beautiful description of who Christ is. And it is very clear to Paul that for, as we read this, that Christ is his all. And I hope that for you today. Verse 15, speaking of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Is Christ yours today? Is Christ your life? I'd hope so. I'd hope that'd be the case. I'd hope your day today would reflect that he is truly everything for you. That your aim, your striving, your thinking all reflects that Christ is all for you. If that's not the case, friend, I would ask you and I would plead with you to understand that this life is just like that. So we're described as a mist. We're here one moment, we're gone the next. And if your life has yet to be transformed, if you have not been raised from death to life, been brought from uh, an alienated and hostile to holiness and blameless, you will stand before God, and he's a righteous judge. And your condemnation will be eternal punishment in hell. That's a real place, and that's a real thing. I'd ask you to call upon in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I'm thankful for our text this morning that presses us and pushes us to remember how wonderful and great it is to be with Christ. This union, this bond that, Father, we cannot do and that, Father, that we could not sustain, but, Father, you have brought us and kept us in Christ. And it's in Christ, Father, that we have a new life, a life that is now longing, striving, and aiming for the things above where he is, seated at your right hand. Pray for my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray that, Father, just as life becomes difficult and hard, as temptation and the things that we experience can often stumble us and keep us from pursuing you with a heart, 
of obedience. Lord, I pray that they'd be encouraged, knowing that we're hidden with Christ, that he has us and he'll keep us to the end. And when he appears, we will be with him. Pray that we'd hold on to that hope. We love you and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.